This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. This episode has been brought to you by Thomson Reuters. Thomson Reuters is one of the world's most trusted provider of answers, helping professionals make confident decisions and run better businesses. Thomson Reuters customers operate in complex arenas that move society forward. Law, tax, compliance, government and media. They face increasing complexity as regulation and technology disrupts every industry. They're on a mission to help professionals advance their businesses and gain competitive advantage with trusted answers that only Thomson Reuters can provide. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today's Risky Woman is Rachel Woolcott. Rachel is the senior editor at Thomson Reuters. So welcome, Rachel. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, great to have you here. Nice to be here. Let's start off. You've had an interesting career as a writer and editor with several organizations and different publications. Can you tell us more about your career? Well, funnily enough, it all started off uh, back in New York in the late 90s. I think it was maybe 98, maybe 97. And I answered a, a, an ad in the New York Times for journalists. And I sent in my CV and a couple of pretty thin clips. And I got a job at Institutional Investor Newsletters working on a uh, was newsletter called Private Asset Management, which was all about private banking. And I was thinking about this this morning and realized that we probably should have been doing more on financial crime uh, and tax evasion, but that might have turned off readers. And I went on from there to do some other work at Institutional Investor uh, in emerging markets and the bond markets. And then that kind of wound down and I hopped over to Risk Magazine over here in London. And I covered the derivatives market there in the early 2000s. So this was in the run-up to the financial crisis. And we did a lot on credit derivatives. And that gave me a lot of uh, insight into how banks were marketing these products and maybe making some promises they couldn't keep in the end. Um, They were kind of asking too much of it. And then I finished up working at risk, um, went on a career break, and then came back and started working for Reg Intelligence. And I've been doing that ever since. It's been fantastic. It's uh, really an intellectually rewarding role. There's lots of to sink your teeth in. And I feel like after all this kind of roaming around, being in New York, being in London, I kind of found my feet now. It's great. Excellent. And obviously a lot of regulatory change, so a lot to write about. Yeah, exactly. There's never a dull moment, that's for sure. And so you mentioned a few of the sort of times that you've written through and financial crisis, et cetera. What have been some of the most interesting stories you've got to cover? I have to say the post-crisis stories have been 
most interesting for me, uh, hearing how people or writing about how people are trying to work themselves out of uh, what happened in 2008, 2009. And I'd say that's still going on. And it's interesting to see what the ebbs and flows have been in terms of themes. And when I first started at uh, Reg Intelligence, people were talking about, you know, this is the time that compliance is, uh, and governance is really going to shine. People are going to finally take us seriously. But I have to say, unfortunately, um, I've been at Thomson Reuters for almost nine years now. I feel like compliance officers and risk managers are still, you know, fighting to be heard in a, in a more meaningful way and get their voices heard at the board level. Which is surprising given both the number of, of fines and the and the kind of crisis that we've seen in the, especially in the financial market. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of that has to do with, you know, now that we're in a kind of recovery phase or sort of, that people want to get back to business of making money. They don't want to be in a business of, of doing compliance and they maybe haven't figured out how those two things go together. Yeah, very, yeah, that's a interesting point. So what do you love most about your current role as senior editor at Thomson Reuters? It's like I said before, it's the intellectual simulation. Uh, the stuff we write about isn't easy. Uh, takes a lot of uh, reading and understanding and it, time put into uh, getting to grips with different topics. And one of the things that's come up recently is you know, maybe over the last five years is this culture and conduct conversation, talking about behavior, talking about biases. You've seen the regulators getting more involved there. And that's, in, you know, that really appeals to my humanities background. And I really enjoy it. It's fun to see how this works out in the real world. Yeah, fascinating area in terms of not just a rules base, but how do you get people to do the right thing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's going to be something that's going to take uh, firms and probably regulators a while to figure out, you know, where where are we going with this? Absolutely. So we could cover, I think, a lot on that topic. But, sure. Uh, today, I had lo- would love to talk about the special report that's just come out from uh, the Thomson Reuters team focusing on money laundering risks for corporates. So I think mm-hmm. there's been a lot of focus on AML and financial crime as a key risk for financial institutions. Um, and obviously that's seen a lot of publicity around the big fines, but it's also a risk that's far wider um, and this report gives some great insights into what other um, corporates should be thinking about and considering. So I'd like to sort of start with, you know, why do you think that that's happening now? Like why why has this um, issue kind of broadened um, and and what what do the corporates need to be thinking about in terms of improving their financial crime risk management? Yeah, well, I'd say the why, why now is a combination of uh, different factors. And one is the what we call the expanding regulatory perimeter. So more non-financial firms are coming into having obligations uh, to have uh, financial crime compliance programs. And that started off with the uh, you know, more high-risk areas like real estate and jewelry businesses, you know, high-end uh, 
objects like cars, heavy machinery, stuff like that. But it's filtering out to law firms and uh, other other kinds of uh, professional uh, services firms like accountants. So they're you know that, and this is being revisited all the time. And on top of that, there's more risk and complexity in the sanctions regime. Uh, worldwide, especially as the U.S. Uh, ramps up sanctions against uh, Venezuela, North Korea, and Iran. And I would say just more generally that regulators and law enforcement are looking at corporates more closely for a number of reasons. But also, corporates are vulnerable to money laundering and Money laundering charges are also now being linked with sanctions and bribery and corruption cases. So it's something that needs to be on their radar more. Um, criminals, are, and this is something we come back to all the time in our coverage, is that criminals get very creative about harnessing uh, legitimate businesses for their uh, own ends and something that people aren't always aware of. But you know, more recently, got some big household names like Microsoft, Walmart, uh, the tool manufacturer, Stanley Black & Decker. They've all big paid big fines to the U.S. for uh, briberies and sanction busting. And, you know, the theme in all of those uh, cases was uh, poor systems and controls to control these risks, as well as poor compliance culture. And corporates should really be worried about their liabilities here. And just back to money laundering for a second, corporates really need to know that criminals are infiltrating their businesses and using them to launder money. And to their two other household names, Uber and Airbnb have been used uh, by money launderers uh, making fake transactions or making transactions and then getting refunds. So there, there's a lot of vulnerability and probably not a huge amount of awareness. So what has been the um, the compliance approach to date in some of these corporates? Well, um, corporates generally don't do a lot of KYC and AML beyond onboarding. They don't do transaction screening. And more broadly, I mean, I'm, you couldn't say this is true of all corporates, but kind of big picture, they're using... Uh, trade compliance uh, IT systems that are part of bigger legacy software packages, which aren't really designed to detect and deal with financial crime as we know it today. And I would go back to the amount of cases, and a lot of them are highlighted in the report, of, uh, that shows that corporate financial crime compliance frameworks need a lot of uh, improvement so I would say the current approach is not working that well. Yeah. And, and you sort of said that there's now so many different industries affected. So mm -hmm. it started with real estate and jewellery and sort of some areas were considered higher risk. But now that is going lower and lower or broader and broader maybe is a better way of explaining it. Are there still certain sectors that you consider that are greater risk? Well, I think some of the recent cases, like, like the Stanley Black & Decker and the Walmart and Microsoft cases, demonstrate the difficulty of 
managing risks in overseas subsidiaries. So the Microsoft case was primarily uh, having to do with uh, bribery instances happening in Hungary, but it was in other places as well. Uh, the Stanley Black & Decker case was they had a Chinese subsidiary that was selling to Iran and they knew this was happening and they thought they had shut it down, but they hadn't. And the, you know, kind of final report from the government, U.S. government on that lays out kind of the systems and control failures that led to those things happening. And the same thing happened with Walmart to, to a certain extent. That was a combination of a bad, well, not poor culture around uh, uh, compliance and people doing their own thing in Brazil and Mexico and uh, I think India as well. And I mean, it's it's surprising to a certain extent that given the amount of data that we have to understand customers, but it seems that it's harder to know your customer than ever before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot in this in this space to talk about. I mean, we could do a whole thing about it, but <laughs> um, my thinking about it is we're living in an era of deep fakes. And it's something that criminals have really latched onto. And some of the fakery isn't even that deep, but it's fake and it's good enough to fool you. And one of the big things now is synthetic identity fraud. And that's where criminals kind of mix and match uh, data points that they've stolen uh, from the, some of these big corporate data breaches and they can synthesize uh, fake social security numbers, build up a fake identity, get them to open a credit card account with a bank. And by the time they've defrauded the bank, the bank doesn't even realize that this wasn't even a real person, you know, and they write it off as just a, as a credit loss. But there's a lot more that happens too. So an, another thing that we're, has been highlighted in one of the European Commission reports is how criminals are really good at finding corrupt advisors who can set up shell companies and help them f hide the beneficial ownership of, you know, who's behind these businesses. And that is also problematic because some of the government-sponsored sources that are supposed to help you determine ben ultimate beneficial ownership have also been kind of infiltrated and corrupted. So the data you're getting there isn't good, but something that UK is looking at, uh, they've got a plan to revamp a company's house and make it a better um, repository for uh, beneficial ownership data, ultimate beneficial ownership rather. And you know, there's something that's come up last week, which kind of caught my eye, and it's sort of this ever evergreen problem that criminals are running companies that look legitimate. And actually, I think it was last week, Europol was highlighting um, some of the issues around waste management and recycling companies in the EU and saying that these companies are often being set up by criminals and gangsters or corrupt ends and basically like moving garbage all over the EU and just ca causing all kinds of problems, 
you know, in terms, you know, environmentally and in terms of financial crime. Wow. Yeah. So you've got complexity and then you've got this sort of deep fakes mm -hmm. problem. It's uh, it's very uh, difficult. It is really difficult. And like I said, I could go off on about this forever, but, you know, things like, you know, cryptocurrencies and all kinds of uh, ways of encrypting uh, information and hiding your identity, you know, makes it harder for law enforcement and regulators, I think. Yeah. And look, Transparency International, I know, has called on governments worldwide to push ahead with enforcement to sharpen the corporate sector's focus on anti-bribery and corruption compliance. What approach are the regulators taking and, and what do you think the implications are for corporates? Well, a lot of the big cases that I've mentioned already were either started off the back of a whistleblower concern right. or a- actually a journalist investigating it and getting a tip off and writing about it. I think in the New York Times is a good example. So in these investigations have been really big and costly for in multi-year for these companies. I saw the Walmart one, I think, cost them almost a billion dollars. And it went on, I think, for a good five years. Um, But equally, another thing that we highlight in the report is that authorities and regulators are getting more information from bank suspicious activity reports, and they're using it to investigate companies. So groups like OFAC in the U.S. are concerned about sanctions busting at corporates. They're worried that corporates are doing business with Venezuela, North Korea, and Iran, and they're going after that. And they're also telling companies, hey, you need to boost your compliance here because when we, if something does go wrong in future, if we see you have systems and controls that are real, that are robust, that's going to be a mitigating factor in any kind of fine that's ha- handed down. And that's something that they've been really banging the drum about. And the same message is coming from agencies and regulators concerned with bribery and corruption, you know, globally. And what are some of the solutions around tackling those challenges that that the report highlights? Well, I think the first thing is that corporates really need to be honest with themselves about what the current state of their systems and controls is around financial crime. They need to call it financial crime. Uh, They need to blow the cobwebs off their compliance frameworks and determine whether they're fit for purpose for today's world. Uh, Companies' boards need to educate themselves about these risks. And as some of the financial regulators have attempted to promote, to get a culture of compliance at these companies. And that was one of the observations about Walmart, that it's high growth, low cost corporate ethos led to corners being cut and bribery happening. So I'd say getting to grips with the big picture is going to be a big task for a lot of companies in the same way it has been and continues to be for financial services. And on top of that, you know, there's always the technology piece and there are a lot of new tools out there that corporates can use to combat financial crime. And they need to look at what they've got already um, and what they might not be using, like internal customer data, and think about how we can you can use that data to sell customers almost on a one-to-one basis 
but you should also be thinking about repurposing it and using it to detect behavior that might be indicative of financial crime. And I think those are all things that people need to think about in the whole, not latch on to one any, any kind of simple solution. I know that's something that compliance people talk about a lot is doing something, a holistic approach. And I think that that's always going to be the best way to think about a problem from all the, the different sides. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot that they, that corporates can learn from what's already been uh, experienced in the financial institutions. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think that's right, that holistic approach, looking at their entire data sets and and process and procedures and, as you said, culture. There's a lot of a lot of lessons learned. You know, that kind of introspection is tough for any individual or company, but I think it's always worth doing. There's a lot in the report. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone should, of course, go and read the report. We will put the link in the in the show notes and on the Risky Women website. Are there any other kind of key takeaways that we should highlight now? Okay. Well, first of all, I wanted to say hi to Brett Wolf and Nathan Lynch, who are my colleagues who co-authored report the report because you know they both have a huge amount of expertise and Absolutely. that really shows. Nathan, a fellow Aussie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hi, Brett and Nathan. So I don't want to make it sound like this was all my thing. Definitely <laughs> far from it. Um, so I've got to say it's a jam-packed report. Yeah. <laughs> So I've boiled it down to four kind of takeaways, and some of them I've kind of hinted at already. And one is that criminals are creative, and they can use your corporate infrastructure to enable their criminal enterprises, and you need to be on guard against that. Um, The second one is you can't rely on your work to do uh, KYC, AML, sanctions, and bribery work for you. You are responsible for that. And that's exactly what law enforcement regulatory agencies are saying. Um, speaking of which, law enforcement and regulators expect corporates to have strong systems and controls around financial crime. And even though it's not specifically mandated, that's the big message coming out of the SEC, CFTC, DOJ, and OFAC, and other global regulators that you need to be on top of this. And ignorance of the problem isn't going to be an excuse. You just, you need to do it. And I'd say the fourth thing is back to this idea of the expanding regulatory perimeter, um, that more companies are going to have financial crime obligations over time because authorities see it spreading everywhere. I mean, one of the things that came up in the commission report was the use of, of financial transfers in uh, European football leagues as being part of money laundering and seeing no kind of economic reason for some of these transactions. They highlighted a couple of other areas. One was free ports. So that's something that you can look forward to seeing more advice on potentially those things. And that's the kind of stuff that politicians pick up on, by the way. And um, I would also just, you know, add to to the expanding regulatory perimeter point is that money laundering is offenses or, or charges are being wrapped up into bribery and sanctions busting uh, offenses as well. So 
you are found to be violating sanctions uh, regimes or engaging in bribery, that comes with the uh, money laundering charge as well. So absolutely, there's a lot in the report. So I recommend everyone reads it. This one is great. Um, what what are the next reports that you're working on? Um, well, next thing we're ramping up for is our kind of what we kind of colloquially call the year ahead kind of forecast for 2020, which is always a uh, tough exercise to try to pick out some themes and a path where we see the year ahead might be going. And we do that um, in all the jurisdictions and territories that we cover, which is everywhere. And all the uh, kind of regulatory intelligence analyst team uh, that's headed up by Susanna Hammond and Ashley Kovas, uh, I think they are about to launch a special report on China which has been translated into Chinese. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be great. That'll be interesting. Yeah. And then there's always the cost of compliance report. There's the conduct risk report, which is always a good annual mm-hmm. annual read as well. So I recommend everyone takes a look at those. Okay, let's move on to our rapid fire round. Uh-oh. Risky Women is a vibrant network at the centre of a global community in a rapidly growing, evolving and influential industry. Given the continued pace of change, our Rapid Fire Round revisits the most pressing topics to share ideas and offer listeners new perspectives. What's your one word to describe the world of governance, risk and compliance? Um, this one was really hard. I came up, I settled on misunderstood. <laughs> Being a word person to limit you to one word is is a tough one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was like you put your finger on it, Kimberly. That was it. I was thinking, how, can, how many hyphens can I get away with? <laughs> Misunderstood. Okay, interesting. The cure for the costs of compliance and the waves of regulatory change that we're seeing. I think it comes back to this idea of you know more leadership, and that's hardly a new idea. Compliance officers and financial crime specialists need to get support and risk managers need support at the board level. And I I don't know if they always get as much as they need. A lot of talk about tone at the top, but maybe not enough action at tone at the top. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, walking the walk and talking the talk that needs to happen. (laughs) That's my personal opinion. Very good. And are you optimistic, pessimistic or neutral for your outlook for the year ahead? Well, the first thing that came to mind was ask me after the 31st of October, (laughs) which is supposed to be, you know, Brexit day. But then that is that is a tough one. I'm going to have to stay neutral at this point (laughs) because I don't have enough data to make up my mind. (laughs) We have a few people neutral at the moment. (laughs) And now a few fun questions. What is a book that you would recommend that everyone reads? I would say Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, um, mainly because it's a really good read. It's really, uh, really interesting. And she is a consummate storyteller. And I think that Wolf Hall is sort of a whodunit and whydunit all at the same time. she's just got a real talent for bringing the whole universe of uh, Henry VIII's court to life. It's very, very excellent 
writing and very fun to read. Excellent. And uh, something to watch. Well, I would recommend everybody watch the New York Yankees coming up into the playoffs. (laughs) I am a big baseball fan and being able to watch baseball on TV when living in the UK is about the best thing that ever happened. So (laughs) I think everyone needs to watch baseball. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Your favorite podcast? Well, I really like Radio Lab from WNYC in New York. And the reason is it's science and it's storytelling together. And that is just, you know, a magical combination. I, I really enjoy it. It shows some creative thinking, shows really instructive about unpacking a problem from kind of different and maybe unexpected directions. And I think that's a really useful lesson for everybody. Great tips, great insight into the Thomson Reuters most recent AML and financial crime report and and how that's going to change what corporates need to be thinking about. Thank you very much, Rachel, for joining us. And I hope you'll come back when we have the next report. I hope so too. It's been a pleasure, Kimberly. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, we're always looking for sponsors. And if you'd like to get involved and help celebrate and champion women in risk regulation and compliance, please get in contact at info at riskywomen.org. We'd love to have you join the show. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Rescue Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be a part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter or even reaching out to me directly by email.